0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Stay of the Art podcast with me, your host, Ethan Appleby. I'm very excited to bring you along as I dive into conversations with amazing people who are at the intersection of art and technology. Each week, you'll hear a different angle about how tech is bringing radical change in the way all of us interact with art. We have on artists and first-time collectors, as well as CEOs from some of the top digital art companies. We'll also look at the effects social media sites and crowdsourcing platforms are having on the art world, and explore how other creative industries such as music and fashion were democratized using technology. Before we get started, I want to tell all the artists listening about Bango. If you're like many of the artists I know, you spend more time managing your career than you do creating art. Bango helps you with this. To learn more, go to bangoart.co slash podcast. That's b a n g o dot co slash podcast. And if you're looking for original art, Bango is an amazing place to find art from some of the best emerging artists. Now, in this episode, I'm excited to welcome the CEO of Artfinder, Jonas Almgren. Before taking the helmet Artfinder, Jonas founded the VIP Art Fair in oneArtworld.com, which was then acquired by Artfinder in 2012. Jonas pivoted Artfinder from an IMDB of art to an online gallery for emerging artists. Four years later, Artfinder is one of the top places to discover art online. Today, I talk to Jonas about why they see themselves more as a dating site than as an online gallery, what he thinks is just as important as the artwork when discovering your perfect piece, and how he believes technology will bridge the gap between buyers and artists. So please, allow me to welcome today's guest, Jonas Almgren. Jonas, it's great to have you on the the state-of-the-art podcast. Thank you for having me. So if I look at your your path and your history, I mean, you started down, I mean, you were in more traditional software. You created a a sort of online yellow pages. You know, how did that lead to now being the the CEO of of Artfinder?
1: Well, it's a long story, but I'll try to keep it real short. So I had worked for a while, 15 years in in Silicon Valley doing a, a series of startups. I was very lucky. I worked with some companies that went public, so I got sort of the the startup bug. Then I ended up moving to New York, wanting to sort of broaden my horizon. I have always loved culture and art, which was somewhat limited in in the Silicon Valley area at least at that time. And in New York, I started collecting a little bit of art, I started interacting with galleries and gallery, uh, and artists locally, and over time sort of realized that there was a missing piece here that that none of these people seemed to really take advantage of technology. And that, then that led into a startup I uh, did in New York called VIP Art Fair, addressing the high-end needs. And that taught me a lot about what actually works and doesn't work in the high-end. The high-end is very much a bi- uh, person-to-person business. So the kind of efficiency you can get from uh, technology it doesn't really benefit that part of the market. And as I was um, started a discussion about moving back to Europe and just run across ArtFinder by chance, that seemed like a perfect match of what I felt was a need uh, and then having the opportunity to actually develop that. And
0: so talk to us about ArtFinder, just a really brief background on, on what you do. And, and, and I know you guys have kind of shifted over time. And so what has that looked like and, and why? what was the sort of insights that led to the, the shift?
1: Yes, when I joined in 2012, Artfinder was a sort of a broad art site that attracted people interested in art, lots of uh, images of famous artworks, lots of information, sort of a Wikipedia for art, if you want. Um, But the monetization hadn't really worked out. There wasn't enough traffic to monetize it. Um, So we started looking at alternatives. And in particular, one area that interested me was then a marketplace for artists, because I had seen how many artists are really brilliant artists, but for one reason or another, they aren't with a gallery, they haven't really made a career within the high-end art market. And at the same time, lots of people I spoke with that loved art, they ended up going to museums, and then at home, they didn't have much art at all, sometimes only posters saying they had been to the museum, but really no original art. And I felt if we can just connect these artists that I knew were out there, the sort of you know, it's a cliche, but the starving artists that can't really make a living from the art they produce, and with these art lovers, you would have a brilliant marketplace. Um, So that's where we uh, took ArtFinder, so from this Wikipedia kind of art place to a marketplace that actually uh, could um, help artists transact and sell their art and actually make money from the art they produce.
0: That's that's great. So I, I heard on on CNN you said we're more like a dating site than eBay. Tell us more about that and how you thought technology could help. You know, not at the high level, but at the sort of emerging level.
1: Yeah, this this is really interesting. If you are let's say say a fashion site, you're you're selling a lot on a brand, so there is one brand that you can sell lots of product under, and you promote your brands. But if you're selling original art, every piece is unique. So you, if you scale up like we have, and now we have over half a million artworks on the site, you have this problem that, on the one hand, you know that there is something for everyone out there. We have so much art of all different kinds that for anyone coming to the site, there will always be at least one artwork that they like. The question is, how do you find that artwork? And that's when I started thinking, it is really like a dating site. It's you come to the site, and as we have asked many of our users, when they come to the site, they don't really know what they're looking for. They know if they like it or they don't like it when they see it, but you can't really ask them to describe it up front. So it's how do you navigate the universe of all this art that exists on the site to get to the point where someone actually finds an artwork they like and that is within the right price range so they actually can buy it.
0: Yeah. So is it is it like, a, I always think of dating, I think of Tinder and swiping. I mean, is it a swiping mechanism or what? how do you look at, at creating that match? I know swiping even in, in dating is kind of passe now, but <laughs> and the artwork, the artwork doesn't have to swipe you back, right? That's, that, would, that would be tough.
1: <laughs> so I, I think we're still just really scratching the surface of what could be done here. So we are providing several different ways you can find artworks that are similar to artworks you like. And when you start liking artworks on the site, we'll create a profile uh, of your preferences so that we can then recommend more artworks that we think you will like. Very similar to the way Amazon is doing it with collaborative filtering. And then we do have this uh, more like this feature, which people use all the time. Which if if you see an artwork, but maybe it's too expensive or it's not the right size, you can see more artworks like that, which opens up new avenues that maybe you haven't pursued yet, uh, where you can find a new artist that you fall in love with, and then you can look at all the different artworks they have to find something that you can actually buy.
0: It's interesting. What um so in building off that, you, you know, you've also talked about Spotify and kind of like a playlist and. I mean, do, do you think of that like people creating playlists of, of things that they like and then that helps you imp- like use data to improve their recommendations?
1: Yeah. So when, when you like something on the site, it, it's added to your favorites and it's very similar to how you would operate maybe with a Spotify. So we, we know what you like. You have a collection of what you like. And the problem is, of course, that even if you like something, you might not have the money to buy it or it might not fit for your home. So liking art and buying art is not quite the same thing. But we can certainly use that and leverage that throughout the product to really create a personal experience. And you know, this is, again, just, we, I think we are at the beginning of what can be done in terms of uh, personalizing the site, making it feel like it's the right site for you. Because everyone's taste is so different that if you try to make, build one site that recommends art, you become like a gallery. You're very authoritative. You say, this is the art you should buy. Uh, and we don't want to be that. We don't want to become the site that tells you what you should buy. We'd rather want to be the site that accommodates whatever taste you have to allow you to find art that you love. And then over time, of course, you'll see a lot of art and maybe your taste change. I mean, I think all of us have been through that, that taste is not something that is fixed in time. The more art you see, the more things you're exposed to, the more you read about artists. Um, You constantly uh, create uh, new ideas. You explore new avenues. Uh, and you falling in love with new artists all yeah. the time.
0: Yeah, and I mean, th- thinking about that, is there the, the sort of behavior of a buyer or a consumer or collector coming in? Is Was there anything that surprised you or you found counterintuitive to the way people browse for art and how they finally got to the decision of what to buy?
1: Well, so what we found, and, and maybe I shouldn't have been surprised, but we have two very different groups of users. So you have one group that is the, the person that, they have a space in their home, they know exactly how much space they have and how much money they have and what they want to spend. It might still not be easy for them to find what they like, but at least they come into the site with a very specific agenda in mind. But about 50% of users, they just love art. And if they find something they like, they buy it. They don't even know if they have space for it, but they buy it because they like it and then they'll make space for it. So it's a very different approach uh, and, The way you come to the site and then the experience probably should be quite different. Right now, the experience for our users is quite similar, regardless of which of those two groups you belong to. And I think over time, what you need is actually a site that is more adapting to your your requirements when you come to the site, so that it's an experience that fits your requirements rather than some kind of generic user.
0: Yeah. Uh, I was thinking... Like uh, on Google search, how there's the search and there's like the, I'm feeling lucky. It's like, if someone knows exactly what they want, you know, <laughs> you, you get them there a little, little bit faster. Uh,
1: and, and I think, I mean, one thing I didn't mention, but one thing that over the years I've seen is that art is so similar to other um, items you buy online. So buyers of art, they react in similar ways to buyers of anything else online. So in one way, It's an e-commerce proposition we have here, and the way you help someone actually commit to a purchase is very similar to what you would see done on other e-commerce sites. But at the very same time, it's very easy to then jump to conclusions and say, oh, well, this really works for fashion, and it worked for art, so therefore, these five more things that worked for fashion should work for art, and we just find out that actually that's not at all true. it's fascinating that many things that I heard when we started selling art, people telling me this will never work, like having a a discount with a timeout. People would think that's a superficial approach. Art is much more of a considered purchase. But our experience is that actually that works. And the way you build a site has to be effective in both inspiring people to find art they like, but it also is an e-commerce site. And you have to be able to um, get to a point where someone feels okay i'm ready now i have to make a decision i cannot go on browsing for hours and hours so we both learn from our e-commerce sites as well as we fail by copying other sites and that kind of experience is what we now have built up over many many years
0: yeah i, I like that i i, I want to dig into two parts of that one is you know you talk about people saying that will never work and, and, and you know maybe that's those who are from more of the established art world I mean, How do you think your background not coming from a traditional art, you know, art history or working at a a big gallery played a role in either helping you or, you know, being at a disadvantage?
1: I think it was really helpful. I mean, I've seen a lot of art startups in New York when I worked there started by art people, brilliant art people that had years and years of art experience I will never have. Um, But knowing art and starting a company is quite different. And especially when you try to start a company that actually makes money at some point, you really need to approach it objectively. And you cannot go at it saying, this is good art, this is bad art, these are good artists, these are bad artists. This is how we want to sell it. These are the kind of collectors we want to um, attract. You have to have very open eyes and just say, we want to have a site that is successful, that is... um, actually succeeding in um, selling art from many artists helping them uh, live from the art they make and um, and you kind of have to throw out all your preconceived notions of what should and should not work and you just gotta try it with a with a have a very open mind and try things half of them or probably more nine out of ten will probably fail but then you will find that one out of ten that really will be a successful way forward that will bring you a little further along
0: yeah. So thinking about this, I mean, you talked about other industries you looked at. So it sounds like on one hand, you're looking at other industries to learn from them, but not you know, take exactly what they do. And on the other side, you look at hearing from sort of the traditional art world, but sort of finding a balance between those two and what works specifically for art and realizing that it's it you can't just take from one side or the other. It's, it's this sort of green space that you're figuring out.
1: I mean, that's what makes it so exciting yeah. is that it's done this before. No one has really taken... Uh, this market and try to bank it, bring it online in a, in a sort of open international way. Like we have seen, the interna- uh, you know, the, the traditional art world has become very international, and that's certainly something we are seeing as well. So it's just fascinating to find out what works and what doesn't work, what experiences are beneficial, and what is actually mis, uh, you know, guiding you in the wrong direction.
0: Now. For all of you artists listening who want to be able to market yourselves like you are the most famous artist, Vango can help. Vango makes the entrepreneurial side of being an artist easy, saving you hours each week from the marketing and admin tasks so that you can focus on creating. In a way, Vango's like your virtual assistant or manager, and their killer feature is the ability to manage all of your online portfolios and storefronts in one place. They also create a website for you, show you who your collectors are, provide insights into what is selling, and they'll even help with your taxes. So, if you're an artist who wants to spend time doing what you love, go to vangoart.co slash podcast to learn more. That's vangoar tco slash podcast. And now, back to the episode. So, I recently talked with one of your employees, Emma. And Emma was not a person, but rather a a bot on Twitter that helped me find recommendations using an image that I had seen online to an art piece I could buy through ArtFinder. Tell us about that. I love that intersection of art and <laughs> art
1: and tech. That's no, fun, and this is uh, you know we got to try out different things. And, yeah. and uh, social media is really important when it comes to just exploring art, maybe not buying art, but exploring and learning about art. And um, so we launched Emma, which uses this this sort of image recognition technology that it's open source anyone can access it but we we took it and we adapted it for art uh, it's a fascinating technology it's it's the same technology the danish police is using on the cctv coverage to identify wow. criminals um, so we took that and um, tweaked it a little bit made it more um, uh, appropriate for for uh, recognizing similar art and then we said so how are we going to make this accessible to everyone and yes we could build it into the website but that would require people to come to the website and maybe upload an image. So where do people share images? We thought, well, actually Twitter is a perfect place. So you just need to tweet your image to this bot and the bot will reply with um, several artworks taken from the art on Artfinder. So you could, for instance, be in a museum, you see something you like, but obviously you can't buy it because it's in a museum. You can then just uh, tweet it to Emma and she will reply uh, and suggest some similar artworks that we have at Artfinder. Wow. Yeah, actually,
0: so what I did is is SFMOMA here in San Francisco has an app where you can tweet a word and then they give you a piece that's in the museum. So I got that and then I couldn't afford that. So I used that image with Emma and she helped give me recommendations of art oh, that, I, that, I, that I could purchase. <laughs> so it's like a bit of a meta path towards finding that perfect piece.
1: That's great. That's great. Love that. No, and, and I think again, um, you know, there are so many new ways we can, uh, could try out, and, and it's, we are, again, just at the very beginning, I think, the way art and art interaction and art exploration can happen through Twitter, through Instagram, on Facebook, uh, and then ultimately on our site, it's all one universe, and it, it's all integrated. It's, it's uh, fascinating to see, again, what works and what doesn't work. Sometimes things you, you're sure will work doesn't actually work, and vice versa.
0: Yeah. So I know one of your investors was the founders of uh the Alexa project with Amazon.
1: Yes, yes, Will MTP. He uh actually came out of Cambridge where I live and he uh came up with this idea for uh basically natural language understanding, uh interpretation and then coming up with answers that again are uh, natural to the question you ask. Um so I uh knew he was looking for uh, uh new possible investments uh and I started talking to him and When when I described the challenges we have, going back to the dating proposition, so how do you actually find an artwork to match with someone that can't quite even explain what they are looking for, he thought that was such an interesting technical challenge that he put in some money in the company uh, and is giving us some advice as well how we can possibly bridge that gap between the buyer and the artwork that is out there uh, using cutting-edge technology. So I think, again, we haven't rolled out a whole lot yet. But I think there is a lot of um, possibilities to, to go forward very exciting.
0: So are, are we talking about voice-activated purchasing?
1: <laughs> I think art and voice is a little hard to combine because yeah. people can't really explain what they see. But, you know, Alexa is coming out now with visual input and, and there are other ways you can interact that maybe are more visual.
0: Yeah. Or, you know, if you have people over and they ask about this piece and you don't remember, you could ask Alexa to tell the story about the artist.
1: That's true, that's true that could work as well and and we always say that the story is just as important as the artwork itself and it's one of the things that people appreciate when they buy original art is that it isn't just an object it comes with a story and it's so important that you can interact directly with artists that you can actually ask questions and then when you have friends over and they ask about your artwork uh, you know it's not just a pretty piece on the wall, it's something that has a story and a background and probably resonates with you and probably that was part of the reason why you bought it as well. I want
0: to ask you more about that. I mean people talk about the, the experience of buying art online. So you've talked a lot about discovery and discovering that art piece online which it can be great to do. You know, but then there's sort of the notion of the experience of, of offline but also the story and I find you know when I go to a gallery you don't meet the artist and you know you don't you don't even you don't get to hear from them there might be a little bio about them. I mean how can technology help with hearing or knowing the story of the artist?
1: Well, I think there are two parts to that. One, one is we do allow our customers to speak directly with artists so we th- because we think it's so important. And in fact, 50% of our customers do interact with an artist at one point or another. So it is important part of the purchase. But I think what galleries do that is harder to do online is they also uh, basically create a, a sales pitch around the artwork and around the story because ultimately a gallerist is a salesperson. An artist might not be a great salesperson. So if you connect the artist directly with a buyer, he, might, he or she might not be able to maybe describe the story in a way that is compelling to the buyer, even if the story is there. Uh, and I've seen this myself doing artist studio visits together with gallerists, where basically the gallerists have to step in and clarify the story the artist is trying to tell. Um, so I, I think that is a challenge we have. Uh, but we we have a great support team, and if uh, you know our artists are struggling, especially if their first language might not be English, then we help them out in in creating uh, compelling stories around both their own background uh, and also about art they they put on the side.
0: Amazing, I, you know, you talked about using social to just give people exposure with Emma, but also Instagram has really emerged as a platform to sort of discover artists and i think in part is because of that story and you know video insta stories and you can learn a bit more and and see a bit more about who the artist is
1: yeah i think uh, instagram interestingly was what made a the high-end art world more receptive to actually going online and up to that point and this is many years ago now but when i was in new york and you went to a gallery and you said you know you should put your art online it was like oh, no, that will really create problems. We don't really want the art to be online. And suddenly through Instagram, galleries realized not only is it okay to showcase art and inspire people online, and, but it was also a way for them to find new artists, maybe artists they wanted to recruit. Uh, and I think that is a universe that now has expanded greatly, not just through Instagram, but through sites like ArtFinder and other sites out there that showcase artists. And yep. there's a new way for an artist to maybe pick the, be picked up by a gallery. So,
0: talking about galleries, what, what do you think the future of, of the gallery is, and how? What's the connection between the online and offline world?
1: So, I think galleries still clearly has a place. I think they are their world is changing rapidly, but not so much because uh, of the online change, but because of art fairs. So. Lots of galleries are either shrinking their physical space or completely abandoning a physical space, and they basically become traveling salespeople, traveling from art fair to art fair. But I still think, because you need someone to interact with these high-end buyers in person because they're not wanting to buy necessarily online. They want to speak with someone. They want someone to explain the background of the artist and so forth, and someone they can trust. So I think their space will still be there at the price point where it makes sense to have a personal interaction with a buyer when you do a sales pitch in person, when you actually meet. Um, But the feeding of uh, the the creation of of the market that then feeds new artists into this high end system, that is, I think, completely changing. And it used to be only by invitation. You had to know the right person. You have to be at the right time, at the right place, at the right party. And then you got introduced and maybe picked up by a gallery that has now become dramatically democratized. And suddenly, as an artist, regardless of where you, where you are, you have a chance to be seen, which wasn't really the case at all before.
0: So shifting gears a little bit, thinking of uh, how, how technology will affect the creation of art. You know, they always say that artists use the medium of the day. And well, today, a lot of that is digital. and We're talking about online. Do you think that more and more artists will use technology to create art? And do you think eventually it will be 100% created digitally?
1: I, I don't think 100% will ever be created digitally. And, and I think you, know, you can look back um, you know, decades and look at the early video artists and so forth. And there are lots of brilliant video artists and film artists and so forth. And they have created new uh, segments of the art world. But that has not meant, even though at times people say, oh, painting is dying. It's never died, and uh, certainly if we speak with our customers, a lot of them appreciate the fact that a painting is handmade. You can see the hand of the artist in the artwork. So yes, we sell digital art as well, uh, and it sells well, but a lot of customers still want to see an actual handmade piece of art, whether it's a sculpture, an oil painting, or maybe a woodcut print. Um, they like the fact that they can see the the artist's hand in the artwork they buy.
0: Yeah, completely agree. So in the last few years, I mean we've seen technology being used in the art world. And you talked about Instagram and what you're doing. And you know, earlier you mentioned sort of advanced technologies. I mean, there's things out there like VR and AR and blockchain. You know, are there technologies that, that you're really excited about or that you think are more of just a, a fad and that won't really have, have effect on the art world?
1: Well, I think there there as always, when there is a new technology, there will be sort of uh, a little too much excitement, and then we'll sort of die out a little bit, but it won't disappear and um, So I think virtual reality and and you know even before then, just having virtual galleries online where people thought to showcase art, it has to be a three d world and you navigate, and all those examples show that you know, once navigating your virtual world becomes the key focus and not the art, you have lost something. So there always has to be a balance between what the focus of the technology is. Uh, and as long as it doesn't detract, it's okay. If the technology is sexier than the art, then you have a problem, which reminds me of some contemporary art museums where actually the architecture might be the, the, the key reason you're going to the museum rather than the art. And you can then start to wonder, is that really uh, the right reason to go to an art museum? Um, so I think there's lots of interesting technology. I think virtual reality and what comes out of there will be amazing. It will be one segment of art that is uh, uh, perfect for that, that medium. 3D printing probably also has a lot of potential interesting art that could come out of that. So I think we will see all of these integrated into the art world. Well, I don't think they will take over.
0: So taking it a step even higher, I mean, one of the things that I, I love in talking with you is, is looking at the ecosystem as a whole. You know, I mean, are there things, and you, we talked about sort of this being still a green space and you guys are absolutely on the forefront of, of selling online. You know, what's your sort of 10-year vision or, or what do you want to see happen in the ecosystem over the next 10 years to really make something, you know, art something that everybody participates in?
1: It's key is to convince and make people realize that they can afford art. I think that together with a overall consumer interest in more handmade and unique goods and including fashion and what you buy for your home, people love the fact that they can buy something local from a, some craftspeople or artists. And a lot of what's holding people back right now is that they think original art is very, very expensive because that's what they read in a newspaper. So I think this market is on the cusp of exploding, but it hasn't opened up yet and we just need to get awareness out because there are so many people out there that go to museums, that love art, that are interested in art, and they still haven't bought a lot of art for their home. So I think if that happens, the market is uh, absolutely enormous. We uh, just need to be keep on pushing all of us together to make sure people uh, are aware uh, of the opportunity that's out there. So, and they they all our customers love the fact that they know When they buy an artwork on ArtFinder, most of their money goes directly to the artist. It's something that is important to people. They feel that they are supporting the art world. It's not going to a factory somewhere manufacturing a reproduction. It's rather going directly to actually artists and uh, people in the process of creating art.
0: Excellent. Great way to end the the segment. Before I let you go, can we do a quick rapid fire? (laughs) Sure. All right. Art will be as popular as music in what year?
1: I think it will take another 10 years, I would say.
0: Okay, 10 years. What is your most frequently asked question to Alexa?
1: Oh, that's interesting. Um, I think it's always about the weather. I guess it's boring, but uh, it's, uh, you know, will it rain? I'm living in the UK. I need to know.
0: Hey, the answer is always yes in the UK. (laughs) Who's your favorite artist at the moment?
1: Uh, Well, you know, uh, I think favorite artist is a very personal thing. And my favorite artists are not living artists or it's artists in the past. So one artist that really changed my view of of art history was uh, Turner. When I went to the museum in Stockholm and I saw someone who's washed out uh, water paintings that just was 100% light, it was just amazing. And it was one of those sort of pivotal moments in in me getting interested in art and starting to look more at uh, and then of course i like a lot more contemporary art as well but that was one of these artists that really changed my my view of art
0: beautiful all right last one what's your life motto
1: well that's a tough one um i think it's it's about taking risks and not being afraid of taking risks what they say uh, is uh, fear is temporary regret is forever and i think that's you know why I've been doing all these startups. Uh, You've got to take risks and the excitement that comes with it and, and the sort of reward when you're successful is just fantastic. So it, this is what I enjoy doing.
0: Amazing food for thought. So for everyone listening, where can they find you and ArtFinder?
1: So they can go to artfinder.com and start browsing around and uh, they can also uh, do ArtFinder Emma, which is our Twitter bot that you mentioned. But going to artfinder.com, uh, I think is a good starting point.
0: Excellent. Jonas, thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Great to be on.
0: So don't forget to visit Artfinder at artfinder.com or on Twitter at Artfinder. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review it. Leaving a review is super easy and it helps listeners like you discover the podcast. Oh yeah. And don't forget to check us out at State of the Art on Twitter for behind the scenes photos, a sneak peek to next week's episode and really cool art videos you're going to want to show your friends. Thanks again to Bango for sponsoring this episode and to all of you for listening. Remember, if you're an artist looking to create more or a buyer wanting to enrich your home with original art, visit bangoart.co slash podcast and save 30%.